You're listening to episode 18 with Tom Hickman, Director of Engineering and Planning for City of Bend, Oregon. Hi, this is Alan Heyman, President of Blue Drop. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the power of communication and collaboration in the water sector. It's water in real life with our friends and Blue Drop partners, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. We're dedicated to sharing stories that demonstrate how communication and collaboration move things forward. If you want to overcome your challenges, then you have to build relationships. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or resource to give you the tools to curate connections with your customers that create impact. If there's one thing I can be certain of when it comes to you, it's that you love water. And if you're a water utility looking to manage your water you love, then you'll want to talk to our friends over at Mastermeter. They understand that you can't manage what you don't measure, and smart water management begins with accurate measurement. Account for every drop produced and delivered because the utility's progression towards smart cities and IoT begins here. We're trying to be the game changers of communication, and our partner, Mastermeter, is here to deliver game-changing results for you across finance, customer service, and utility operations. They offer an array of products to meet your utility's needs. To determine which smart metering solution is right for you, visit the h2duo.com slash mastermeter. Okay, so most people in the industry are familiar with George Hawkins. You know, we can all probably pull one of his bat phone stories up from memory from a conference that we heard him speak at. But you may not be as familiar with another trailblazer in our industry, and his name is Tom Hickman. He's in Bend, Oregon, and you're about to hear his bio. But, you know, we all need to be recharged from time to time. And for me, this conversation was like Popeye on spinach. I mean, I'm like... I'm still on cloud nine from it. So if you look up bold in the dictionary or getting beep done in the urban dictionary, there should be a picture of Tom's face. Please, please, please share this story with every single leader you know in this industry at every level. Um, It's just, it's a story that needs to be heard and it's so timely and relevant for the situation that we find ourselves in in terms of funding and investment and how that relates to the communities we serve. It was incredibly hard for me to break this convo into just three takeaways for this intro, but I'll do my best. Um, Really resonated with me when he talked about how including citizens in involvement with the investments that we're making is an extension of our democracy. He talks about how... um, the value of surveying your constituency regularly and not just through surveys but through focus groups and interviews specifically with your biggest um, opponents and he talks about how leadership is situational and is not individual and that there's times when our skill sets and our natural abilities align with the moment and that a good leader realizes that they aren't always the best person to lead on every issue. And then he, we end part one because there was so much here, we had to break it up into two segments. We end part one with his story about how lack of public involvement landed him in district court and his whole experience with that. So incredibly amazing. The next episode drops next Monday, which will have part two of this conversation Please share this, and without further ado, let's get to the show. 
Tom Hickman is the City of Bend Engineering and Infrastructure Planning Department Director, focusing on oversight and implementation of all master plans and capital improvement projects. He is a civil engineer with over 25 years experience in wastewater, stormwater, water supply, water rights, system design, hydraulic modeling, utility management, and utility master planning. He has been credited with bringing innovative ideas to the city, solving challenges, challenging issues, and overseeing record infrastructure growth in one of the country's fastest growing cities. He is noted for championing a unique approach to big ticket infrastructure decision making and bringing these concepts to engineering audiences nationwide, which is absolutely true because we had the pleasure of not only meeting Tom, but hearing his presentation at the Utilities Management Conference in San Antonio this past February. And uh, you have some huge, huge fans in Texas, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm a huge music person and a movie buff, and so I'm used to being starstruck, but never in all my days that I think I would be starstruck about, uh, about getting to talk to a, an engineer out in Oregon, but we're definitely a little starstruck right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, I've never had uh, fans in Texas yet, so. Uh, well, we'll start that fan base. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll be your uh, fan club presidents. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... So at your, you're going to hear this whole presentation, I mean, sorry, this whole interview is based around this presentation that really we, <laughs> to be honest, have not stopped talking about since we saw it. Um, we, we actually just talked about you this morning <laughs> to another director who we were like, do you know Tom Hickman? You should. So um, <laughs> we've been talking about that presentation for, uh, for a while now, but um what was really cool was that the first thing that you did in your presentation at UMC was you made this connection that Bend isn't just the city you work in, but it's where you live. And it really demonstrated this vested interest in the well-being of the city. And that seems simple, but there's, there's power in that kind of ownership and accountability. So tell us a little bit more about Bend, your city, uh, and the specific community you live and work in. Yeah, so, um, well, Bend is what my home. Um, so having uh, grown up here, um, I do have a vested interest in it, uh, and I feel very fortunate to play the role that I do. Uh, Bend is, um, has been a rapidly growing city. When I, when I was a kid here, um, the city actually was um, dying it was actually going the other direction. Wow. Very small town. Uh, the logging industry that supported its economic base was um, going away. And, uh, you know, when I finished high school here, there really was no economic opportunity here for me to stay. And so uh, I left, which ended up being a good thing uh, is for any of us when we are forced to make a change that we don't want to make there's often opportunity in that yes so um so it it, it uh when i left bend uh ben made a pretty big change to a tourism-based town at the time and became very popular for tourists and of course with tourists coming here and visiting seeing the scenery, uh, seeing the activities, um, people wanted to move here. Mm -hmm. 
And so the economic base shifted. Um, and uh, as a result, that, that trend has not stopped. <laughs> um, and so uh, we started to grow pretty rapidly in the late 80s. And we have been growing ever since. Um, we've had some lulls, but even during the downturn, um, we uh, still were growing at around 2%, 3% wow. um, during the downturn. So um, what's, what that has resulted in is, is um, you know, here we were with this small town, a uh, very kind of small town attitude, uh, frankly, and small town skill sets. Um, to be honest with you. And uh, that was not meeting the needs of the growing community in terms of the infrastructure planning, in terms of the infrastructure investments that needed to be made. Um, and uh, I was able, fortunate enough, I came back to the city here. Um, I got a job as a consultant here in uh, 2001. Um, and was a consultant, and one of my biggest clients was the city of Bend, Oregon. And uh, I rapidly became very frustrated with my client. And <laughs> um, I really felt like they were not um, being proactive. I felt like they were just not, not even doing their due diligence in reading the information that we were providing, and they were spending a lot of money for it. Yeah. And I hit a point in my career where I had some choices to make and I realized I could continue to complain about government <laughs> or <laughs> I could actually take some sort of active role. Mm -hmm. And I decided, well, you know, why not try to change it from the inside? And I made uh, that change. I applied for the water utility manager position for the city. Uh, back in 2005, um, was hired on the spot when I applied. Um, and uh, I actually thought, well, this will be piece of cake. How hard can this be? Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, within three months, I realized what I had bitten off was a massive issue wow. to deal with. Mm. Um, and it, it from there has evolved um, and uh, went through a lot of challenges. And my first probably three to four years at the city were actually fighting internal policies and internal values. Oh, yeah. Yep. It was not dealing with the community. It was dealing internally. Yeah. And um, it was by far some of the most difficult things I have ever done professionally um, because I was forced to address um, individuals where they were good people, um, but their values, their views of things were not lining up with where we needed to go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it was a, it, it's been a big change. Um, yeah. And uh, we've now been for the, since about 2011, um, as a result of a lot of the change, uh, we are now on a record uh, level of investment and have been for years in our infrastructure. Um, what's remarkable about that is since about 2014, 
we've had unbelievable community support in that investment. And that was another very significant monumental change um, that we got to that took years to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of set the stage as we sort of move into um, the presentation that won our our hearts and minds. Was we were, you know, we're at UMC and we're we're sitting, we're we're obviously in there because we know that this is going to be a presentation on communication, and you're telling the story of how I think you said it was like your your midlife crisis, and <laughs> said so instead of getting myself a Corvette, I went back to school. <laughs> so was this for a, a master's degree? It was. It was for a master's in public administration. That's right, and um, so. Uh, you know, as you're telling the story, as the communicators in the audience, um, your story was a very powerful moment of validation for for us when an engineer is at the podium telling the story where he says, you know, my thesis was going to be based on a subject where I would basically debunk the need or the value of communication because it's just fluff and we don't really need it. And then you admitted to the audience that you essentially proved yourself wrong. (laughs) And so I know what that felt like from my chair uh, and the audience, but give us your perspective on that. Yeah. um, So at the time, um, it's uh, what drove me to that moment uh, to going to get my master's degree is we were in the midst of um, something just short of of a crisis going on at the city in terms of lack of community support. Um, we, we literally, um, we, we were being challenged at every corner and uh, it was very painful um, at that point in time. Uh, the, it wasn't just challenging the projects, uh, the attacks were personal on at me and there were multiple elections that were run that um candidates really wanted my head on a plate and um there was uh just absolute um adversarial uh, relationships between the city and the community um on these infrastructure investments and i realized at that point in my career that my skill set had run out, frankly. As an engineer, I I could do all the engineering. The engineering, actually, at that point, I used to kid, and I still kid, um, and I upset a lot of engineers with this, is the engineering is easy. You know, you get down to formulas, and and you you do your thing, and, and that part is the fun part. It's the easy part. The hard part is finding the support the financial backing that you're asking these people to make investments in. Absolutely. And when I realized how you know much my skill set lacked in that, uh, I, I decided I really either had to either step aside and get somebody in who could or make a change in my knowledge base. And I, I chose to go get my master's. So when I went and got my master's, um, I, I really, at that point, we had also embarked on something that um, it, it was, it's called the Sewer Infrastructure Advisory Group. Um, and we were facing this huge investment in our sewer infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And um, 
this group was a committee of 18 people and uh, 18 citizens, many of whom really couldn't stand me. Um, personally, they really were just wanted, didn't want anything to do with me. And I was a bit angry about having to take on this project of working with a group of citizens who knew nothing about engineering. <laughs> and here I was going to have to sit with them for years, talking <laughs> to them about engineering behind master planning. Yeah. And uh, so in the master's program, I thought, oh, this would be great. What a great opportunity to prove my point. Wow. To prove that there's no way this can work. Yeah. And um, so I did try to focus my entire thesis in that direction. And of course, the master's program took a couple of years and this infrastructure advisory group took a couple of years. But as I learned skill sets within the, the, my master's program, I started viewing my role in government very differently wow. than what it was. Mm -hmm. um, so as I, my role, as I started to understand my role differently, um, I started realizing I had a higher obligation than just the engineering. And I started realizing I had an obligation to citizens um, to engage them, to give them a, frankly, a, a voice in democracy. And that was a game changer for me to realize all these investments that were, it, it, this is an extension of our democracy. And yeah, they're technical, but fundamentally, citizens have a right to have a say so. And our whole government is based on that. And so if I didn't embrace that, um, I was going to have problems. And so my whole role uh, at that point, working with this committee and my view of the committee really drastically changed. And um, by the time I was finishing the my program, the, the schoolwork part of it, um, we were having major success with this committee, uh, um, like uh, shocking success. <laughs> and um, so I took a full year after I actually finished all the coursework to actually do the thesis. And part of that reasoning was, um, and my research, uh, I was working with a couple different professors and I kept telling them, hey, there, there is no one out there that's done what I've done. No, I can't find any research to support having this kind of community involvement in, in the planning level of engineering. Um, this is typically done by engineers. And so I actually, the, the professors didn't believe me, to be honest with you. I ended up working with another researcher who she specialized in just, just researching what data and information was available, worked with her for about two or three months, and she came to the same conclusion. This hadn't wow. been done. This was new. And so um, my thesis ended up being my own case study, what, what we were doing. Um, and I took, I, I did in my, in my thesis work, I, I was able to find some, like, uh, here's an individual project where they, uh, uh, they worked with the community. 
Um, and I was able to look at kind of success and failures from just an individual project perspective. Mm -hmm. But again, we were taking the approach of going project by project is really difficult. Mm -hmm. It's really painful, right? I mean, yeah. uh, as communities, we're facing doing many, many projects. And so trying to get community support one project at a time seemed <laughs> kind of crazy to me. Yeah. yeah. And so taking it from the approach of, well, let's do it from the master planning perspective. Let's take this where every project we're looking at for the next 20 years, let's get community involvement up front right now. Wow. And that's what we did. And that's what my thesis uh, was on. And what I ended up in the end was proving the fact that, hey, this kind of community engagement, this kind of community involvement works. And it was transformational for me. Um, and I will tell you the engineering team that we had, the consultant groups that we had involved, uh, the engineers were all opposed to having this level of public engagement and what they traditionally did in a room full of engineers right. was now being done in a very public setting. Man, I've been there, done that. <laughs> oh boy. I hope, uh, you know, this story is, is so powerful. And, you know, I love how you brought it back to even, you know, this is what democracy is, you know, that's just, that's incredible. And this is why um, I hope everyone's beginning to understand why Ariane and I had mm -hmm. goosebumps during this entire presentation, because it was just, uh, um, you know, I hope that everyone, as soon as they get done listening, are immediately clicking share to send this to <laughs> every director that they know, because this is, yeah. it's, it's a very oh, powerful yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a serious problem in our industry um, that is kind of the buzz right now, and that's infrastructure. Um, we know, you, you mentioned earlier that Bend was one of the fastest growing cities, um, six times what it was from 1970. Um, so we believe that communication can win you more public support for investment, but you kind of touched on what role you think the population growth plays on. Um, how does that impact the way a city communicates with its customers? Um, you know, what, what's, what's happening across the country um, is, is we're seeing citizens that are demanding a voice in their government mm -hmm. at every level. Yep. Um, and, you know, that is not a partisan issue. It, it, it crosses party lines. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, with our community, when it was growing so rapidly, so fast, we were bringing in very, and still are bringing in um, people from other communities that in some cases they, they had that and right. they came here and not having that was not acceptable. It was not okay. And that's part of what caught us a little bit flat footed uh, in my opinion is the community's values and expectations changed faster than yeah. what we did as a, as a government. Um, so what, you know, we now realize and um, we do on everything we're doing is we are reaching out to the community um, and get that community support. And I can tell you it's, it is critical. If you, if you don't have it, 
um, you're in for an uphill battle. And frankly, your career is going to be short-lived. Yeah. Um, and and I, I'm seeing this at every level that in order to achieve what we need to get done in terms of infrastructure investment, um, you, you have to get that community support. And the faster your community is growing, the more critical it is. Uh, you know, it, it really, you can't get there without them. And I, and I think I'll, in my in my experience, what I've seen in talking about this issue um, and giving many uh, uh, presentations on it and talking to a lot of directors from across the country, a lot of directors, they don't, and a lot of, and mostly engineers, do not want to talk to the community. They don't, they want to be able to tell the community, this <laughs> is needed. We yeah. have to do this mm -hmm. and, and, let's move, and on. move on. And, yeah. and uh, they get very uncomfortable in having to do this public engagement, public dialogue. So I, I think to answer your question, um, if you don't engage your customers, you're on a path for failure, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think, I really don't think you can succeed. Yeah, and, and, you know, most of the times people think of population growth in terms of the economy or obvious things like infrastructure needs, but from a communication standpoint, I look at that in terms of all of these transplants here coming from different places that are maybe used to different things and different ways of having a business done around them related to their city, which, you know, you kind of touched on where there, there was a difference in expectation level as people were coming and who were used to being communicated with in different ways. And so, um, kind of keeping that in mind when you're, it's, it's really fun to say, yes, I, well, I don't know if it's fun to say that you're the fastest, you know, one of the fastest growing uh, cities in the country. It's and, a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword really in terms of just learning this new community that's growing every single day that are coming from, you know, across the country, maybe even across the world in some cases. It, it is. And I, but I think, it, you know, it's also a great opportunity to grow personally. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's a great opportunity for careers to grow. And one of the things that I look at, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a little, little bit older now. And, um, you know, a lot of the citizens I'm starting to deal with now are in their mid twenties to mid thirties and um, their values are different than their expectations are different. Yep. What they expect from their government is different. Yep. And so um, even if you don't, even if it, it, your community isn't necessarily growing or, or in, and, but you're dealing with different generational values here and these new generational values, um, I think, have some substance and merit that yeah. are, hey, we better listen um, and start, you know, adjusting. And again, if we don't, um, I just don't think your career is sustainable if you don't. Absolutely. Love it. Um, so at, at UMC, you mentioned that during your master's program, you learned, um, and you kind of already touched on this, that it's not just about there's more people, but there's different expectations now. I mean, there are higher expectations maybe in terms of the customer service that they receive, or like you said, they want to be involved in the decision-making process. Um, even the expectations of the people that you're hiring now, their expectations of what they expect in their place of work are different now. 
Um, so how did you reach those findings? I, I mean, were those kind of a part of your thesis research and was that through surveys or kind of your, I just kind of, I want to, this, this is some valid evidence that people can use to make a case for improved communication. So like, where can we find your thesis so we can use that and cite that? <laughs> well, I, I can certainly send you my, my thesis. Um, yes. And, and, uh, um, Watch out, we'll send it around the world. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you, you might be one of 10 people that have read it. So, you know. <laughs> oh, just uh, wait. <laughs> um, but uh, the some, some of the information I gathered, um, it, it was a combination of it. First, from a community perspective, uh, we do community surveys here. Um, and we reach out to the community. Um, and we ask the community, essentially, how are we doing? And, and across the board, we, we don't limit it to even, uh, it's a citywide survey. So we're looking at how are we providing police services? How are we providing fire services? And, and then down to utilities. How are we, how are we doing? How, and, uh, how so, often do you guys do that? About every two years. Every two years. Um, yeah. So, um, and it's, it's not a cheap necessarily investment to do, um, but the information you get from that, I think, is pretty valuable because it is a, becomes a metric to see, oh, you know, they, they actually think we're doing a good job. Um, what's, what I caution, it, it, it's really interesting because <laughs> um, our industry has done a really good job at sheltering us from the community. Yeah, I, we really have. And so it's funny that the first couple of years we were doing these surveys, we were getting really high marks from the community um, on in terms of like water and sewer, you know, services that we were providing. But yet we were lacking the public support to make the investments. Hmm. And it was like, well, that's odd. You know, yeah. they're, they're giving us really high scores, but you, they're not supporting these investments. They're fighting us. They're electing people that are saying they're going to stop these projects. So what I started looking at was the survey questions. And uh, when you hire people who do these surveys, uh, they often ask you, well, what should we ask? <laughs> well, <laughs> if I don't want the community <laughs> to really be weighing in, I'm going to ask a very generic question. Yeah. Right. I'm going to ask something that, you know, like, how's your water pressure? Um, <laughs> how's, how, how's the water taste? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's not to the root of, so how do you feel as a community about making a 80 million or a hundred billion dollar investment in the water supply to keep it, um, you know, redundant and sustain, you know, robust and, you know, we don't, we didn't, we weren't asking those types of questions. And, yeah. and that's, so it was one of those things that the, the survey alone was not enough. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I did and um, is we hired a public relations folks mm -hmm. um, and those public relations folks, they went out and they actually interviewed uh, they did these small groups they, and they actually came to us and said, give us names of people to go talk to. So I gave them names of the people that really were outspoken 
um, yeah. that some of these people were uh, <laughs> my enemies. Yeah. And, and they went and talked to them and they actually found out um, some interesting results. Um, and what the most amazing thing that they found when they did their work is they came back and they said, so the community doesn't trust the city on these utility issues. That doesn't believe them, doesn't trust them. Um, and then, but then they asked, so who do you trust the most for getting this information? What was remarkable is I was identified as the most disliked person, but I was identified as the most trustworthy. <laughs> wow. In these surveys. Yeah. And so in other words, people didn't like hearing what I was telling them, but they believe trusted it yeah they trusted wow. it because i was telling i was telling them the truth and they realized hey we're facing large investments yeah so um i kind of point to all that as uh you know some of the information that we had coalesced um that started changing a lot of things um i also had reached out to um people across the industry to get stories um, uh, like how's this working? What are you doing? And uh, what I found is there isn't really good empirical data out there to, to for um, hey, this survey shows you need to do this. What I had was a lot of anecdotal. Yes. Um, yes. And and uh, which is you know unfortunate. I actually think uh, our surveys done by our professional organizations, I'll identify them, AWWA, uh, APWA, I think we need to start changing even those surveys that are being done. So we're asking different questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to help us better understand what is the role of a community in making these big decisions. I, I, I don't think those organizations have come fully around to this. The last part I, uh, to get to is, is in terms of uh, who I hire. And, and uh, I will tell you, um, we flipped who we hire on its head down <laughs> here. Cannot wait and, to ask you more about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We 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 have flipped it on its head, and the staff I have here now um, is they will tell you the community portion of this is what comes first. That's awesome! That's amazing. Yeah, that yeah, is great. So we're going to get to the meat of your presentation. Um, you went through some traits that you believe will distinguish tomorrow's transformational utilities. I love that you started with um, bold leadership. Boldness is one of our core values. Yep. And uh, we just want to know your thoughts on where this leadership comes from. Does it always have to be top down in order for change to happen? Um, so it's funny. Um, one of the papers I wrote when I was actually in my master's program, um, and it was regarding leadership, um, uh, and I, it was leading from the bottom up. Oh, um, yeah. So. That does that paper too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can't, yeah, I think um, one of my professors who, who had a, gave us a couple courses on leadership, uh, 
I, I often use this now with my own staff and I use it in a lot of different venues I speak at. Um, we have this false view of leadership, uh, I think nationally, um, and that we have this idea that this person did this and therefore they're a leader. Yeah. If we actually read about leaders in history, uh, leadership is situational. Yeah. It, it, it's not individual. <laughs> <laughs> so there's times when our skill sets and uh, our natural abilities align with the moment, mm. align yeah. with the point to lead. And um, a good leader realizes they are not necessarily always the best person to lead on every issue. A good leader will step aside and let somebody else step in and lead on an issue who's got the right skill set to do it. That to me is kind of the bold. That's the, hey, I, I, I don't need the credit here on everything. I don't need to be the person. Um, there, you know, if you've hired good people, <laughs> yeah. um, then you have good leaders within. And what I would say is, um, you know, if you're somebody in down in an organization, um, it does require some boldness to yeah. step up and and try to point out maybe that the person that is trying to lead isn't the right person to do it. Um, I did that, and and I'll be the first to tell you, my career got threatened, yeah. um, my oh, job yeah. got threatened, um, and uh, I. I, I think, um, to be honest with you, I probably got away with it. Um, and I hate to say this, but in it, I think there's truth in it is part because of my gender um, yeah. and, and the other part because of, of my race. I, I was able to get away with things probably that others may not, yeah. um, not be tolerated. And I think that's another thing that we have to recognize. We have to be able to start having those conversations and start realizing that because uh, a, a young uh, female steps up and is challenging you, maybe you don't pat them on the head and say, that's cute. <laughs> and you don't do that. And, and you Bless look, your heart. Uh, yes. You actually look at them as a leader right. and you look for their skill sets. And so, yes, to, to me, that's the boldness. Of, yeah. of actually speaking out and saying, hey, um, it's time to find other leaders to step into these roles. And, and if you're the top of an organization, you need to see that as not threatening. You yeah. need to see that, that, hey, I'm really good at what I do. I'm finding leaders to carry these issues. Yeah. That's, like that's what you should do. You're harvesting leaders. You're growing and harvesting them. Yeah. Yes. It's a we're having a we're having a video chat and we're trying really hard not to interrupt Tom to break his flow. So we're sitting here fidgeting because we are like so pumped by everything that he's saying. <laughs> so Tom, sorry for being distracting on our and just all of our No, no, no. <laughs> our fist pumps and our <laughs> head nodding and and yeah, like that's um as a woman, as a woman, as women in water, that's um, that's an incredibly powerful and validating thing to hear from you as well. So uh, um, 
especially from the engineering side. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. I didn't well, get my engineering yeah. degree and it, it was reminded to me a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing is you sometimes leaders in our industry don't, not only do they not look like us, do not sound like us, they may not even have the same education as us. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so we need to look further out. Amazing. Love it. Um, so one of our favorite quotes from our mentor is he says that water is the catalyst for community transformation. And we've literally had shirts made for an event that have a version of that on it. Um, so when you spoke about shared vision, you included the quote that said, remember, water transforms people's lives. Um, and you talked about the importance of making your customers a part of the shared vision, but yet so many times utilities are afraid to engage with customers because, you know, they've been, they've been burned in the past and you yourself have definitely experienced that. Or, you know, they're already imagining what the worst case scenario of response from their customers is going to be. So we, uh, in the presentation, you had a photo uh, that said it was the Bridge Creek pipeline replacement if if it's that or any other project like talk to us about how you actually did include the public in those projects so um that project was my transformational project um <laughs> that that was the project that transformed me and everything i understand and everything i believe wow. um so that project in a nutshell, when I first got hired in 2005 with the city, uh, that I was, I was told, Hey, you have to comply with this new law. Uh, and it, it's called LT2 and we have till 2010 to comply. So I was thinking, well, it's 2005 and yeah, how, yeah, I was a little, <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know anything about this LT2 rule. And um, when I dug into it, essentially, um, it was a bit like pulling on the end of a string in a ball of yarn that in the ball, you, you couldn't even see the ball, mm, right? So wow. you didn't even realize as you pulled what you were nodding and, and messing up here. <laughs> and so um, the long and short of it is, is, it ended up being a massive project. The, the original thoughts were that this was going to be about a million dollar project to comply. In the end, it was more like 70 million. Um, <laughs> and um, what we realized was uh, our very um, basis of our of our water supply system the most the most fundamental piece of our water supply system um, was in critical jeopardy of failing oh, it was nearing uh, 90 years old at the time um, the way that it was installed uh, at the time um, the, the type of materials that were used everything about it was in jeopardy um, and so uh, to take on this project, um, I took a very traditional engineering approach. And I was like, okay, well, the, here's what the engineers said. Here's what, here's what my own engineering expertise says. I knew that, I just know this is what's gotta happen. So I put together all my information and thought this is, how hard is this? You know, you just go to tell the council, 
I need a bunch of money um, because your water supply is at risk. So this is cake. And I actually had an individual, it, it was my boss at the time, flat out told me, uh, hey, Tom, you're not going to want to actually bring this public. And I thought, well, how can we not? This is 50% of our community's water supply that's at risk here. We, we have to. I, I have an obligation as a licensed engineer. And his statement to me was, look, the community will never question the investment once it fails. They will just, they will, they will pour all the money you need to get it fixed mm. if you wait till it fails. If you try to address this ahead of time, um, the community is going to be infuriated and, and you're going to be in for a fight. And I thought that was the most ludicrous thing yeah. I had ever heard. Wow. And, um, Unethical too, a little bit. <laughs> yes. And so I trudged on and I actually went public with this whole project, but from a very traditional Boldness. engineering. Yeah. But from a very en engineering centric view, yeah. you know, I, and, and here was my, when I say that, this is what I mean by that. I'm the engineer. I've studied this for years. I have a degree. I have all this expert expertise and experience. Just believe me. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I, accept I just, it and move on. Yeah. Accept it and move on. And um, to my shock, um, people didn't. And um, a community group organized rapidly, and the long the, the, this this project uh, that I started in 2005, by 2010 um, we were starting to get legal challenges. Um, by 2012, the project's still not done, not started. And I found myself in federal district court for the first time ever. Um, I lost in federal district court in front of a judge who basically said we hadn't done our community due diligence. Wow. Um, we had to basically start uh, not quite over, but we had to go backwards a long ways. Mm. Um, but by 2016, the project was completed. Um, we had developed the community support, mm -hmm. but we spent $10 million in delayed costs and legal fees and court costs. And we were challenged all the way to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals um, wow. where, where we won. Um, but I use that, and I have a whole separate presentation you guys didn't see. Oh my gosh! On yeah. just that, on just that project, because it taught me so much about the value of bringing the community along. Um, because had I brought the community along, I don't think I would have been in federal court. I don't yeah. think I would have lost the first round. I wow. think I would have been able to save the community a lot of money. And I think we would have gotten the project done so much sooner. Um, and so it was my transformational project that wow. literally changed, you know, it was one of those projects that I use now to tell young engineers, you 
whatever they taught you in school, the engineering portion of it is value. But you cannot take that and put it out there in a way that everybody else has to accept it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. you said so. You There's another piece to engineering here, and that's dealing with the community, working with the public, and getting them on board on these projects. And if you don't do it, you do it to your own peril, and you, you will find yourself in very uh, uncomfortable and difficult situations that wow. you're going to regret. Yeah. So first of all, when are you going to be giving that presentation? Because we want to make sure that we're there for that one. (laughs) (laughs) As always, thanks for hanging out with us today. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Tom as much as we enjoyed having it. And be sure to check in next Monday when part two of our conversation with him drops. That'll be episode 19 on September 3rd, 2018, which is Labor Day. So you can listen while you aren't laboring. I don't know. Just just listen. Um, in part two, we're going to discuss how all of this transformation has led to how they are hiring differently. We're going to talk about the technology that they're using to make their projects more transparent, uh, what Tom calls, air quotes, creative firing. We're going to touch on affordability, and also he tells another incredible story related to his take on coffee or beer, your beverage of choice coffee or beer diplomacy and how that works. So be sure to check out the show notes on the website, vh2duo.com for the show notes with timestamps from the interview. If you want to go back and hear something again, it also includes any of the resources that are mentioned during the interview. If you never want to miss out on an episode again, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for water in real life. Also, please give us a rating and review while you're there. Um, We're really trying to beat out the California DMV and this random Australian audiobook. So every single subscription, rating, and review helps. (laughs) Um, You can also stay up to date by following us on social media. You can find us at the underscore H2 Duo on both Twitter and Instagram. If you're needing help with your communication strategy and development, the ace 2 duo also have their own public communication company called Rogue Water. And you can find out more about us online there at roguewatergroup.com. We hope you learned something new, got a little inspired, and most importantly, took action on something today that leads you one step closer to accomplishing your goals. Until the next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. 